Well, a uh, pleasant good morning to all of you. Um, it's a treat to be here in Nashville, and I'm thankful for the invitation from the elders to come uh, with my wife and spend the day with you all. Uh, it's a treat to be with Barry and Teresa. It always is. They are like family to us. They're actually, Barry's actually the one that married uh, us, that performed our ceremony. So, uh, But we go back even way before that. And uh, so Barry and Teresa are like, kind of adoptive uh, parents to me and family to us. So it's always good to be back with them and just thankful to get to know so many of you and spend the day together worshiping our Father. Um, some of you we've met and spent time with in, in other settings and a lot of you we don't know, but we're looking forward to that. Um, and can I just say that it's really nice to be at Woodland Hills I, we've, we've traveled a number of places. If you didn't hear at the beginning, Danny mentioned that the church we work with in, in Indiana is also called Woodland Hills. So uh, we, I've been to a lot of places. We've traveled a lot, but I've never been to a place that changed the name of the church just to make us feel welcome. So <laughs> that, that's, that's above and beyond. You guys really knocked it out of the park. So thank you for that. Um, I want to tell you, I want to begin by telling you a little bit about some of my early adventures in preaching. Uh, as a, tw- a young 24-year-old, fresh out of preacher training in Arkansas and then in Minnesota, uh, I, I spent two years working with Barry in Arkansas and then moved to Minnesota and did another six months of training there. And then at 24, moved to the city of Duluth, Minnesota, where my wife and I met and just started preaching. And uh, there's a lot that as a preacher trainee, you think you know. And then you find out when the training wheels are off and you're out on your own that you have no idea what you're doing. And that was a lot of my experience as a young preacher in northern Minnesota. Um, I'll tell you about one particular uh, instance of that. There was a young guy that we, had, we started studying with and, and uh, taught who became a Christian. And he was just coming out of a lot of really difficult things in his life. He had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. He had social anxiety. Uh, all of that was complicated by uh, an, an alcohol addiction and some other things that, were, that really just made life for this young man very hard. And I remember uh, early on in our relationship um, going over to his apartment to check on him because I was worried about what was going on with him. And when I got there and I opened the door, I'll never forget this. I walked in and like right away I knew something was off because there was this music playing that was really weird and somber and, and kind of scary sounding to me. And he was just sitting there in his room, um, almost like dead to the world. I mean, he was awake, he was aware, but he wasn't really responsive in, in ways that people normally are. And I walked in and started looking around and there were all these open uh, containers of like alcohol and pill bottles and all kinds of things. And then I looked a little bit Further, and, and he had like weapons and chains and handcuffs and knives just kind of lying around. And I just remember very distinctly the feeling of being very uncomfortable and just thinking, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know how to help somebody who's dealing with the kinds of things that this young man is dealing with. Uh, and that was not an uncommon scenario, I think, uh, for a lot of young preachers. But I suppose for anybody who has a heart for the Lord, if you, if, you've been in, uh, if you have a heart for other people, then you probably can identify with that. Have you ever been in a situation where 
you, you met someone that you wanted to help dearly. Maybe it was somebody that was a family member of yours, an acquaintance, a coworker, whatever the case is, and you, you wanted nothing more than for them to know the Lord, but you just had no idea how to do that. You felt helpless to do that. So what we're going to talk about this morning is how some of the, the message of the prophets can really help equip God's people today to be more effective in our work as we try to serve those who, are, who have needs around us. How can God's people be helpful to those who have needs, but whose needs are so different and whose experiences are so foreign to our own? You know, one of the things that I think can help with that is by thinking in broader terms about the gospel. And let me just be clear what I'm, ta- what I'm talking about, what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about changing the gospel or redefining the, the gospel. I'm not talking about making it something that it's not. But I'm talking about simply understanding how far-reaching the implications of Jesus' death and resurrection really are in our lives. How far-reaching the implications are that he is the king of a kingdom that God has brought that is changing the landscape of the world forever. And the, the more we understand how that impacts people in environments and backgrounds different from our own, whose experiences have been different from our own, the more equipped we're going to be to help people, even if we may personally have a really hard time understanding what it's like to walk in their shoes. You know, when we hear the word gospel, so much of the time we think of it in a strictly New Testament context. And yet the concept of good news is not at all exclusive to the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. In fact, many of the Old Testament prophets for all of their messages containing warnings and judgment and that kind of language, they were full of descriptions of good news that was directed to people who were in very specific groups where they needed to hear good news. Sometimes it was people who were in captivity. Sometimes, as we're going to see this morning, it was people who, were, who had been widowed or orphaned or, or whatever the situation might be. And what's fascinating about this is that you, may, you can go into the prophets and read this good news uh, that they, they shared with their audiences and never find them mentioning Jesus or making reference to the Messiah or anything like that. And yet if we really understand the implications of Jesus' death and resurrection and his kingdom, then what we'll realize is that any good news that, that has ever been proclaimed by any spokesperson for God is always contingent on Jesus, on the risen Christ. And so the prophets really can teach us a lot about how we can help people whose experiences are different from our own. Um, so the, the more we know what the Bible says to people who are in situations that, are, that differ, and the better we understand how these scriptures ultimately point to Jesus, then the better equipped we'll be to help uh, and to serve as the Lord's servants. So this morning, what we're going to do is I'm going to show you four texts from Isaiah just briefly, where Isaiah gives good news. And in each of these four texts, I'm going to ask you to look for two things. Number one, there's an audience that we're going to look at. Who is it that's being given good news in each of these texts? And then number two, what is the good news in each of these texts? And hopefully, over the course of this lesson this morning, you'll find yourself in one of two categories. 
either you will be one of these audience members, like the, the people that Isaiah is talking to might as well be you, and you'll find yourself in these audiences. And if that's where you are this morning, what I hope that you'll see, if nothing else, is the good news that is for you. And maybe even this morning, you're dealing with circumstances in your life that have you at your wit's end, you're frustrated, you don't know what to do or what direction to go in or where to turn. And what I hope that you'll see more than anything else is that you can turn to God because he has good news for your circumstance. But if you're somebody who's in the other audience, and and that is maybe you don't see yourself in these texts, what I hope that you'll see is I hope you'll see people that you know. And I hope that you'll see that the good news that we read about from prophets like Isaiah, from texts like these, this is good news that is just as relevant today as it was in Isaiah's day. And if we become familiar with this and we learn how to, how to share this good news with people and, and share with them how Jesus is really the, the ultimate good news, we can be equipped to help people in situations that are very different from our own. So those are the two, uh, two ways to connect with our study this morning. Our first text is from Isaiah 49. So open your Bibles to Isaiah 49. And we're going to read beginning in verse 14. Isaiah 49. In verse 14, the text begins. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders hurry, your destroyers and devastators will depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All of them gather together, they come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you will surely put on all of them as jewels and bind them on as a bride. For your waste and desolate places and your destroyed land, surely now you will be too cramped for the inhabitants, and those who swallowed you will be far away. The children of whom you were bereaved will yet say in your ears, this place is too cramped for me. Make room for me that I may live here. Then you will say in your heart, Who has begotten these for me, since I have been bereaved of my children, and am barren, and exile, and a wanderer? And who has reared these? Behold, I was left alone. From where did these come? So do you notice in this text, first of all, the audience? There are a couple of different groups that Isaiah talks to here. One of them is destroyed captives, people whose lives had been uprooted, presumably talking to the Jews who were getting ready to be taken away into Babylonian captivity. So Isaiah has news for them. And the news was basically that those who have destroyed and devastated your life, they're going to be removed from you. And and then the other group is a little bit later on in the text, but hopefully you saw it there. It's parents who had been bereaved of their kids. Now, what was the good news in this text? Well, what Isaiah says to these these two groups of, of people is that for those who have been captives, who've been taken away from their homes and robbed of their lives, that for them what God was going to do is he was going to give them deliverance. And then for those who had been bereaved of their children, 
He says, what God's going to give to you, what he's going to do for you, is you're going to have children. You're going to look up and, and you're going to wonder where all of these people are coming from. And you're going to have so many kids that they're going to look around and say, uh, this place is too cramped for us. We need a bigger house, basically. Now, I don't know how well you can identify with these groups of people or not. I, there's, there are some things that I can identify with in this text more than others, but I'll tell you a little bit about why this is meaningful to me. The year before uh, Melanie and I got married, I had an aunt who, who passed away because of a brain tumor. And what I remember really about that whole experience being up in Minnesota, and my family was in Arkansas, they were kind of all dealing with that in, in, uh, right in front of them. And so it all felt, felt very distant to me. But the thing that stands out to me is, is watching how my grandma went through that process. The process of watching her daughter die. It's the kind of thing that you've probably all seen situations where somebody loses a kid and it just wrecks them. You know, you think about Jacob when Joseph was sold into slavery. And later on, even after he finds out that Joseph is alive, he still looked, looks back at his life and his days have been agonizing. His life hasn't been joyful. And I think we're full of, we live in a world where that kind of thing, it's not uncommon for that to impact people that way. And yet what I remember about my grandma is that she didn't do that. Instead of, instead of letting that make her bitter, what she decided to do is she decided to open her heart and let God pick up the pieces and put it together. And she decided to, to love the people that were in her life and pour herself into them. And <laughs> like the most amazing thing happens when somebody does that. At some point, my grandma started looking around and there were people coming over for the holidays in her house to have meals that didn't come from her. They weren't her kids. But they were, you know? People that she was... Sorry. Uh, people she was willing to, to love. And because of that, she, she found all of this, these, this new family that she didn't have before. And, you know, sure enough, like that starts to happen and people marry into the family and she, you know, shows hospitality to people that weren't blood relatives or whatever the case is. And you start running out of room in the house, you know, at the family gatherings and, and things like that. And I think that that's what happens. And some of you, you understand that because you've made that choice too. That instead of letting the loss of uh, a child or the loss of a family member be the thing that cripples you for the rest of your life, you decide to love people anyway and to, to not be bitter. And so what happens is the good news is that God gives you family. Now, let me be clear, that doesn't ever replace the loss, you know? But it does give grace and it gives comfort and joy and hope in places where it would be easy to have none. Um, Jesus even talked like that to people who 
maybe they didn't physically watch a relative die, but any of you in your pursuit, in your walk with the Lord, to be a Christian, have any of you had to say goodbye to your family? Basically, they said, if this is the way you want to live your life, if this is the priority you want to set, then we're not going to have anything to do with you. Jesus talked to people about that, and he said, there's nobody who's left brother or sister or father or mother or child or houses who's not going to get that back a hundredfold in this life and persecution and in the age to come eternal life. But the point is that part of the good news of the gospel, part of the good news of Jesus is for those who lose those things, he replaces them. He, he fills those voids and he stitches us back together. Let's take a look at another example of this a few chapters later in Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to try not to cry as much for the rest of the lesson. That usually doesn't happen. Uh, Isaiah 54, verse 1. The text begins, Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out the curtains of your dwellings, spare not, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your pegs. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations, and will resettle the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame, and do not feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth, and the reproach of your, your widowhood you will remember no more. For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. So again, let's start with our first question. Who is the audience in this text? Well, Isaiah is talking to two groups of people here. One is those who have been barren and childless, and one is those who are, have been widowed. The good news here is for people like that, that God was going to give them joy. He was going to give them descendants, and he was going to remove the shame and reproach that, that they bore. Remember, when you think about biblically what it meant to be barren or childless or widowed, we've got some really clear examples of that in Scripture. You remember when Rachel couldn't have kids? And she, you know, the, the baby wars started in Jacob's family and Leah's having all these babies and Rachel, the beloved wife, couldn't have kids. Remember what she told Jacob? Give me children or else I die. That's what she said. Barrenness was, in her mind, equated with a death wish. How about another example of that? Think about someone like Hannah. In 1 Samuel, Hannah also married to a man who had another wife. She was barren. She couldn't have kids. And it says about Hannah that she was in the bitterness of her soul. It wasn't a, a pleasant thing. I mean, it's never a pleasant thing to be barren or childless in any culture. But especially in an ancient culture like that, it, it led to people being bitter, wanting to die. What about for those who lost spouses? You remember the story of, of Naomi uh, who goes away with her family to, 
to Moab, and then her husband dies, and then her sons die, and she comes back home, and when people are like, hey, it's Naomi, remember what she tells them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. So here's this invitation to people whose lives were bitter, whose lives were hopeless because they'd lost kids or they'd lost spouses. And what Isaiah says to people like this is, I'm going to give you, God's going to give you joy. And he's going to give you descendants. You're not going to have to, you're going to be able to forget the shame of your youth, verse 4, and the reproach of your widowhood. And he talks about, in the first couple of verses, the idea that you're going to have to, sort of like the previous text, you're going to have to get a bigger place. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings, lengthen your cords, strengthen your pegs, make your tent bigger, because God is going to bless you with so many descendants that you're going to start running out of room for them. Let me ask you this. Do any of you here have adoptive moms and dads or adoptive grandparents, like in this church, people that have basically put their arm around you and said, for as long as you're here, and even if you leave, you're going to be mine. There's a lady back home where we live in Marion. Her name's Alice Woods, sweet old lady. One of the first weeks that we were there, she came up to, to us and she said, hey, I, I just want you to know I've decided to adopt you as my grandkids. There, was no, there were no discussions or negotiations. It was just a declaration. Um, Alice never had kids of her own. She was married. I don't know if, her husband, if she and her husband wanted kids and couldn't have them or, or what the circumstance was, but she never had her own kids. But there are people like that all over the kingdom of God who, whether they had kids and lost them, whether they never could have kids, who come up to others and they say, hey, you're going to be part of this family. When I was in college in Arkansas, there were people that came up to me and said, you're a college kid, you don't have any money. Every Sunday, you're coming to eat with us. And every Sunday I did, and I never paid a dime. Are there are people like that that have done things like that for you. It's good news, isn't it? For, for those who, not just for the people, who, the college kids who don't have any money, who benefit from generosity like that, but for those who don't have kids, for those who have lost a spouse, to be able to find within the family of God people to serve, people to give your life to, people that you can share the, the blessings that God has given you, people you can share those blessings with, it is good news, isn't it? Now, let's take a look at the next text. The text that we read a little bit earlier, Isaiah 56. <clears throat> We're going to read verses 3 through 7. And in Isaiah 56, verse 3, the text says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Also to the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps 
from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. Even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. So the audience here in this text is, again, two groups. It's eunuchs and foreigners that Isaiah is giving good news to. And the good news that he gives them is several things here. He's going to make them, God's going to make them a memorial. He's going to give them an everlasting name, and he's going to give them joy and acceptance. By the way, as we're reading through that and talking about seeing pictures of eunuchs and foreigners, does any of this sound familiar to you? It's fascinating to me that when the gospel, when you fast forward a few hundred years to the New Testament, to the book of Acts, for example, and the gospel begins to be preached, who's it preached to? Acts chapter 8, the Holy Spirit takes Philip and calls him and says, I want you to go to this, the middle of the desert. There's going to be a chariot coming down the road, and you're going to jump in this chariot and talk to a guy. And Philip does that, and when he finds the chariot, guess who's in it? A eunuch who happens to be a foreigner. And remember, as that story plays out, the eunuch is reading from the scroll of Isaiah. He's in chapter 53. It talks about Jesus being led as a lamb before the slaughter and and being silent. And it says that from that passage, from that scripture, Philip preached Jesus to him. How far in the scroll of Isaiah do you suppose that they read? Do you think there's a chance that they made it to what would be Isaiah 56 in our Bibles? Just imagine this. Here's this eunuch, traveled all the way to Jerusalem to be able to worship. And when he gets there, and he gets to the temple, he can't actually go in, right? Because he's a eunuch. There's, there's a limit to the access that he has and the sacrifices he can offer. Even for all of his faith in God, he's still on the outside looking in. Imagine being that eunuch and hearing these words. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. You think anybody had ever called him that? You think he'd ever felt that way about himself? What am I? I'm just a dry tree. Isaiah says, don't let anybody tell you that. Don't tell yourself that. Verse four, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, And choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. To them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. You just imagine him hearing these words. I can't help but think that this floored him. That it even brought tears to his eyes to hear that somebody who never had a family, never had kids, whether that was by his choice or it was decided for him, that now, according to the Lord, God was going to give him something way better than that. He's going to give him a memorial. He's going to give him a name better than sons and daughters. What good news. And what he goes on, and wouldn't you know, a few chapters later in Acts, when Peter takes the gospel, he takes it to a foreigner, to Cornelius. And the message to the foreigners is, if you join yourself to the Lord and you keep my covenant and you, and you don't violate the Sabbaths, you minister, then I'm going to bring you into my holy mountain. All those places that you, you couldn't go in Judaism because of who you were and what your lineage was and your circumstances in life, that doesn't matter anymore. 
Verse seven, I'll bring you into my holy mountain. I'll make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices that they didn't even get to offer, those will be the acceptable ones. And my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. This is life-changing news if you find yourself in one of these audiences. Last text that we're going to look at is Isaiah 61. Let's turn over and read the first four verses of this text. Isaiah 61. Beginning in verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Now, in Isaiah 61, when Isaiah says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to bring this good news, we know, of course, when we fast forward in the New Testament, that this is also messianic. Jesus even quotes this text when he gets up at, uh, in the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. And he says that this is fulfilled in your hearing. He points to himself being the one that had been anointed to give good news. But who was the audience here? And this is one of the things I love about this text is maybe you could see yourself in one of those earlier texts. Maybe you've lost a spouse or you've lost a child or you've never had those things, but you've wanted them. Maybe not. But I'm pretty sure that there's not a person in this room who, doesn't, who can't find yourself somewhere in in this list of people. People who have been afflicted in some way, whether it's spiritually, emotionally, physically. People who have been brokenhearted. People who have been captives or prisoners. And maybe it's in some sort of literal sense, like you've spent time incarcerated. Maybe it's something that's more spiritual, though. You've always from the outside, look like you've kind of lived your own life and been free to do what you want to do, but you know deep down that you've been a slave to some things that have held you captive for a long time, and you just want to, you don't want to be captive anymore. People who are mourners, I mean, surely all of us see ourselves in this list of of people, right? And so the good news here is for those who are in this list, For anybody that's been afflicted, for anybody that's had their heart broken, what God would do is he would take the pieces of that heart and he put them back together. He'd stitch you up. For those who have been captives, imprisoned by something in your life, God's good news to you is that he can give you freedom from that. For those who have mourned, God's good news is that he can give you comfort. And and it's not just that, but I think one of the greatest things about this is what he goes on and turns us into. He fixes all the problems in our lives, but then you notice in verses three and four, he says he's gonna make us oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. So it's not just that God will stitch up your broken heart. It's not just that he'll 
free you from your captivity or he'll comfort you in your mourning. It's that he will then turn you into something that is productive, someone that is fruitful for him. And beyond that, he's going to give you purpose. These people who bring their problems to the Lord, who have the Lord take care of them, in verse 4, they're going to then become the rebuilders of ruins. So no matter where you find yourself in the audience, no matter what the, the bad news is, God has good news that totally transforms all of that. So just in a nutshell, four texts from Isaiah that give us good news. Now, now again, do you know somebody who's in one of those situations that you want to help, but you just don't know how? Have you ever tried to share the gospel with someone, but in a conversation with them, it just didn't seem like you were able to make much progress? Or for whatever reason, they weren't receptive? Jesus had those same conversations and those same problems. I think what happens a lot of times, though, is that we have a tendency, the easy thing to do is to look for people whose situations and backgrounds and experiences are a lot like ours. And so that's who I want to teach. I want to teach my neighbor who's got the same kind of family situation, the same you know, educational background. I want to teach my coworker that does the same kind of work. So we have conversations with people like that, but guess what? We're spiritual and so are they, and so they already kind of have their thing. They have their, their worldview or their beliefs, and so sometimes it just feels like you can never get anywhere, and then we start to think, well, I guess everybody's like that. Maybe we would have more success, though, if we had a willingness to, to look for people who were total, whose lives were totally different from ours. <clears throat> people who had suffered a loss that we had never suffered or been through an experience that we had never experienced. And do you notice in Jesus' case how some of his greatest successes with people were people like that? It's people that he'd go to who couldn't see. People who were possessed by a demon. Somebody who was lame from birth, or couldn't hear, or whatever the case is. And Jesus came to them and gave them good news. And the good news wasn't just, I'm going to fix your physical problem, or I'm going to get rid of the demon but it was an invitation to come and follow him and really have their life changed. And so many of his greatest successes were people like that, people that he cast out demons who became some of his greatest followers. <clears throat> so just keep this in mind. When was the last time that you had a conversation with somebody who had just lost a spouse or maybe was having to bury a child? When was the last time that you had a conversation with somebody who never had a family that they could call their own? Somebody who had just gotten out of prison? Somebody who had their heart broken for one reason or another? Whatever the case is, when was the last time that you talked with somebody like that with the intention of not just being there for them, but trying to find a way to help them see that God has good news for their circumstance? I think sometimes it's easy for us to want to be there and to, be, to comfort people, but just to, to not want to say the wrong thing. And so because we don't want to say the wrong thing, we just don't ever say anything. But what I love about the prophets is that they show us the, the good news that God gives for people in every circumstance. And the more familiar we become with that, 
messages like these in the prophets. And the more we're able, the better we're able to connect those messages with Jesus. And here's how Jesus can make this, can give you this good news or make this change in your life. The better equipped we'll be able to help people who are totally different than we are. Thanks for your attention this morning. We're gonna sing a song to close and I'm just gonna leave an invitation with you all to think about your needs. As we're going through this list, maybe you saw yourself in, in one of those positions. And my question to you this morning is just this, what are you doing about that need in your life? Are you willing to let Jesus fill it? Willing to bring it to him? Because the, the beauty of the text in Isaiah 61 is for everybody that had those needs who brought them to Jesus, Jesus not only filled the needs, but he transformed their lives and made them, things that, made them into people who had purpose and growth that they never had before. He'll do that for you this morning if, if you want that. But it starts by being honest with what we need and being honest with the fact that we can't find the solution for that need anywhere outside of Jesus. And if you're willing to give that to him, if you're willing to come to him with your sin and your burdens and your problems, then he can start to stitch you up right now, this very moment. If you need to die to yourself, give up your life and follow him so that he can fix it. Start by turning, confessing him as your Lord. You can be baptized into Christ this morning, have your sins washed away and start that process. Maybe there's another spiritual need that you have going on in your life that, that you're struggling with that we can help you with. If that's what's going on, then we wanna do that as well. Let us know by coming to the front and let's stand and sing together.